Hey, good morning. I hope your heart is smiling this morning. If you've been paying attention, the songs we've been singing and the video you saw, your heart should be, your heart should be happy this morning. Um, before I get started, I want to say thank you to my church family for all the cards and texts and notes and, and especially the prayers uh, this past week on Dad's passing. We have felt every prayer. And what a blessing to have a church family that uh, loves the way that we're loved. Uh, you know, it's been a little bit of a tough week. Mike mentioned that um, uh, the Melanians uh, lost a family member as well in, in very tragic circumstances. So thanks, church family, for your prayerful uh, consideration. Uh, keep the prayers going. This is our third installment of this sermon series that we began this year, Who Is This Man? And we're taking the first couple weeks of 2021 and talking a little bit about who Jesus is and the difference that he makes. What is it about Jesus that makes him stand apart and stand out from every other world leader, every other religious expert, every other social influencer in the history of mankind? So much of what Jesus said and did and taught was just, was just completely inside out and upside down from what people said and did and thought at that time. Still is, by the way. Uh, last week, we talked about the countercultural way that Jesus tells us, tells us to trust. This week, I want to take a look at the, the countercultural way that Jesus calls us to love. Say, well, that's pretty basic. It is pretty basic, but it is really important. Now, we just watched that video from last Sunday night's uh, devotional, our praise in the parking lot, or fellowship around the fire, or lessons from a lawn chair. I don't know what we're calling those things, but they've been really encouraging, and they've been really good. If you haven't been a part of those, you just really need to make plans to be a part. They're outside, they're safe, they're, uh, they're just really encouraging. Doing it again in February. But um, Angie Manley, our children's minister, did such a great job last Sunday night of incorporating and including our youngest kids in that evening. She had a little exercise that they did. And then, as you saw, a couple of them uh, shared... Some, some of their highlights and some of their frustrations for the past year. What you didn't see on the video, uh, you saw some adults say it, but you didn't see some of our youngest children echo those same thoughts. In fact, actually, the kids said it first. What was the challenge of last year? And several of our youngest family members said what they didn't like last year, and I'll paraphrase a little bit, but what they didn't like was everybody was so mean to each other. They just, they didn't like that people were fighting all the time. I mean, these are our youngest kids who are just wrestling with the divisiveness and the anger and the hatred they saw in our country. And it was disturbing. You know, as children try to process what they're seeing and what they're hearing. And basically what they said last Sunday night was, we didn't see enough love in 2020. And I think Jesus would probably agree with their assessment. You know, everybody loves. Everybody loves to be loved. But sometimes it doesn't quite come as naturally as we might hope that it would. 
heard a story about an elderly couple. They're laying in bed one night, and the husband's just about asleep, and the wife nudges him and starts talking about all the love they've shared over the years. And he agrees. And he's almost asleep again, and she nudges him. She says, remember, remember when we used to hug? And he said, yes, I do. And he rolled over and gave her a big hug. He rolled back. He's almost asleep again. She nudges him. He said, you remember when we used to kiss? He said, yes, I do. He rolled over and gave her a big kiss. Rolled back over, closed his eyes. He's almost asleep again. She nudges him and she says, remember when you used to nibble on my ear? He sits up, throws the covers off, gets out of bed. He's trudging across the room. She says, where are you going? He said, I'm going to get my teeth. I know, you saw that coming. But we all want to be loved, right? We all love to be loved. But sometimes we don't act very loving. I mean, we're loving towards people that love us. That's easy. There's people that are easy to love, so that's easy. And then there's people that are hard to love, and we get that. But then there's all these people that I just don't think about it. It's not that I don't love them, I just, uh, I just don't think about them. You know, they're just not on my radar, and, and we sort of ignore people. But Jesus never ignored anyone. So, this morning I want to let Scripture talk about the unorthodox way that Jesus treated people. Because Jesus was always going out of his way to show his followers how significant people were in the kingdom. And the way that he called us to love. So I'm going to share with you a couple groups, I guess that Jesus has called us to love. And first, he calls us to love those who disagree with us. And I'm going to spend a little bit more time on this uh, point for a couple reasons. One, because of what I heard from our kids last Sunday night about the ugliness and the divisiveness of what's going on in our country. But also because I'm convinced that once we figure out that someone disagrees with us, for some reason we've sort of come to believe that, okay, now that person's fair game. And if they dis- disagree with me, then, then I can blast them. I can say anything I want because we're in disagreement. Um, you know, we say things and we do things that no one would ever mistake for the love of Christ. So, a New Testament example and an Old Testament example. Of course, you know the New Testament example. You know, you know what Jesus says about loving our enemies. Matthew chapter 4, or 5, Sermon on the Mount. You have heard that it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his sun to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Don't even pagans do that? Jesus says, you love people who love you. Big deal. (laughs) Everyone does that. Everyone loves people who love them. I mean, the the tax collectors and the pagans, people who are far, far from God, they get that. That's pretty basic. But following Jesus is anything but basic. It's about being distinctive. It's about valuing people. It's about loving people, even those people who disagree with us. And nowadays, you don't have to look very far to find people who disagree with you. You know, we are living in a world that is probably as 
politically polarized as any other time in our history. And Christians talk about, well, we're just going to love everyone. But sometimes what we really mean and what we really show is we're going to love people who are just like us. And we're going to love people who think just like us. And we're going to love people who agree with everything that we say and do. But my hunch is there's somebody who disagrees with you. Someone who doesn't see things the way you see them. Your job is to love them. Well, they didn't vote like I voted. Your job is to love them. Well, they didn't grow up the same way I grew up. Your job is to love them. You know, our, our, our Christian witness is at stake. We're to treat people like Jesus treated people. And that means I'm going to love people the way Jesus loved people. There's this great story in the Old Testament. Most of you are very familiar with it. It's about choosing sides. It shows up in the uh, book of Joshua. Joshua has finally led God's people across the Jordan River into the Promised Land. They've been uh, wandering for 40 years, but now they're finally there. They're in the Promised Land. They are getting ready to fight the first major battle in the Promised Land. They're about to go up against the fortified city of Jericho. And Joshua meets someone right before that battle. It's in Joshua chapter 5, verse 13. As Joshua approached the city of Jericho, he looked up and saw a man facing him with a sword in hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you friend or foe? So Joshua is seemingly alone, not sure about that, but he sees a man standing with a sword drawn. We don't know if Joshua had his sword drawn or not. Men standing with drawn swords didn't seem to fear or strike fear into the heart of Joshua, so he approaches the guy and he gets right down to business with this mystery man. He asks him the question that's kind of the obvious question to ask. Whose side are you on? Are you for us or are you for our enemies? Are you friend or foe? The only question I've got. And I'm not sure Joshua expected the answer that he received. Neither one, he replied. I'm commander of the Lord's army. Neither one. What do you mean, neither one? There's only two sides. There's our side and their side. That's it. There's my side and there's my enemy's side. There's the good side and there's the bad side. There's the right side and there's the wrong side. That's it. Now, whose side are you on? Neither one. I'm the commander of the Lord's army. At this, Joshua fell with his face to the ground in reverence. I'm at your command, Joshua said. What do you want your servant to do? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for this is holy ground. And Joshua did as he was told. Why did the commander say, I'm not on either side? Well, you have to be on our side. I mean, because God is on my side. So if you want to be on God's side... If you're the commander of the Lord's army, you have to be on my side. Because me and God, we're, we're on the same side. You know, isn't, isn't this battle kind of for Israel? God's, God's on my side. And the commander is saying, no, God's not on your side. You need to be sure that you're on God's side. You need to be sure that you're choosing. It's not your side or their side. There's only one side. You're right. It's God's side. 
Don't ask me to choose sides. I'm asking you to choose sides. You've got to choose. Now, have you ever been in a place in your life where I feel like I'm doing what God wants me to do? I, I, I feel like I'm trying to do the right thing, but I don't know. It's frustrating. And nothing seems to be happening the way I think it should be happening. And I start kind of asking myself, I'm not even sure God's on my side here. No, God, I want you to bless me in my effort here. I'm trying to do something. Come on, get on board and bless me, God. Or, God, are you really on my side? But, of course, we're asking the wrong question. The right question is, am I on God's side? Am I joining God in his fight? Uh, Am I the one that's choosing correctly? People disagree with us all the time. And when that happens, usually we are so confident that we're right and they're wrong. We're so sure that if somebody's not on my side of an issue, they've, they've got to be on the wrong side of the issue. But Joshua finds out there's only one side. It's God's side. And he realizes that. He says, uh, I'm at your command. What do you want your servant to do? Okay, I'm not in control. You're in control. What do you want me to do? We've got to realize we're not in control. God's in control. What does our commander want us to do? He wants us to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. We need to love them in a way that they know they're loved. Yeah, we'll disagree on some things, but that doesn't mean I can't still love people in a way that they know, okay, we're not in agreement, but I'm seeing the love of Jesus in this guy. Here's another group that, that, uh, that Jesus loved. And he calls us to love the disadvantaged. Now, Jesus loved people who were disadvantaged. He just did. All through the Gospels, you see Jesus interacting with people who have some kind of struggle, you know, emotional, physical. Um, and, and Jesus isn't doing that to try to make himself look good. He's not doing it as, as a photo op. In fact, usually in those situations, people kind of ridiculed Jesus for it. Just uh, thought less of him. But of course, Jesus genuinely cared for people. And we think about, maybe we don't think about it, but but try to imagine the people that uh, flocked to Jesus. When Jesus showed up in a town, a village, and he started healing people, think about the people that flocked to Jesus. They were the struggling. They were the sick. They were the lame. They were the diseased. They were people who were in a bad place. You go to an ER. It's not a cheery place, is it? There's people there that are hurting. You go to a doctor's office and you're sitting with looking around everybody and like everybody's sick. I don't want to get too close because I don't want to get they have. You know, and they're thinking the same thing about you. You're sick and nobody wants to get too close to each other. And now we're getting good at that, right? We're getting good at staying away from each other. But think about the people that flocked to Jesus. Think about the lineup of people wanting his attention, wanting to be healed. You know, they were the people that everyone else avoided. But not Jesus. Jesus welcomed those people because Jesus realized in the kingdom, these people, these people that everyone else avoids, they have such tremendous worth. Jesus says in Luke chapter 14, 
turning to a, a host of a, a banquet. Then he turned to his host. When you put on a luncheon or a dinner, he said, don't invite your friends, brothers, relatives, and rich neighbors. Okay, before I go on, I'll just let you know, a lot of you have been looking for this verse all your life. Here's a Bible verse that says, don't invite your family to dinner. So, <laughs> there you go. But that's actually not the point Jesus is making. Don't invite your friends, brothers, relatives, and rich neighbors, for they will repay you by inviting you back. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Then at the resurrection of the godly, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. Do something for someone that can't pay you back. Bless someone who won't be a blessing to you. Heard someone say that the gates of heaven are handicap accessible. But once you pass through those gates, there are no handicaps, no infirmities, no more sickness, no more disease. Mark Twain said that kindness is the language that the deaf can hear and the blind can read. We need to love the disadvantaged. How about this group? And you might not think about this group as people that we need to love but we're called to love the rich and the privileged. Jesus loved the rich and the privileged. We see it all over the place in Scripture. Now, he wasn't rich. In fact, said the Son of Man didn't have anywhere to lay his head, but he had friendships. He had relationships with people who were very wealthy. And I don't know if you've ever been in one of those situations where you've been around people that have a lot more than you do, and it's intimidating, isn't it? You've been in places where like, okay, I'm, and I'm, I'm in over my head here. I am really out of my depth in this surrounding. And it doesn't take much for me to get out of my depth, but, but Martha and I have been places before where, you know, it's some really fancy dinner or something, and you sit down, and I feel like I'm not dressed right, and there's seven forks beside my two plates. <laughs> And I have no idea which fork to choose. And they bring in the first course, and I don't even know what it is. And I look at you know, my wife, and I'm like, what do I do? And she's like, well, get the napkin out of your collar first. You know, but, uh, but yeah, um, you know, we're intimidated when we're around people that have a whole lot more than we do. But if you know anything about Jesus, he had a lot of rich friends. You know, he hung out with rich people. Joseph of Arimathea. Um, he had women who followed him around, who pretty much financed his ministry. Nicodemus. Uh, Matthew was probably a wealthy guy. We know Zacchaeus was a wealthy man. But Jesus had the ability to look beyond their possessions. He saw their priorities. He knew their heart. And to Jesus, of course, the heart was the only thing that mattered. And, and I will tell you, and intellectually you'll agree, okay, we're the rich people. And we are. But we all know, too, there's, there's different levels of rich. Um, we all know people who have a lot more than we do financially. And I think we sort of rush to the conclusion when we're around people that have a lot more than we do, they don't need anything. You know, we run in different circles. They would never accept an invitation to you know, come worship with me or be a part of a life group. We sort of assume that since they have everything they need physically, that there's nothing that they possibly could need spiritually. And that is so wrong. 
Because every single person has a hole in their soul that only Jesus will fill. Every person wants fulfillment. Every person wants some joy and, and, and peace in their life. And there's, there's a part of that that only Jesus can provide. Um, Paul told the church in Rome, Romans chapter 15, May the God of hope fill you with all the joy and peace as you trust in Him, so that you may overflow with hope in the power of the Holy Spirit. There's not a person on the face of the earth that doesn't long for joy and peace and hope. And I don't care what your bank account says, if you don't have joy and peace and hope in your life, you're bankrupt. Uh, Jesus loved the rich. He didn't always love them back, but he loved the rich. And of course, Jesus loved the poor and the underprivileged. He especially loved the poor and the underprivileged. And lots of places to go in Scripture for this, but I'll take you to Mark chapter 12. Mark 12, Jesus and his disciples are in the temple courts, and they're sort of people watching. They're watching as people make their contributions. And Mark records the scene this way in Mark 12. Sitting across from the offering box, he was observing how the crowd tossed money in, in for the collection. Many of the rich were making large contributions. One poor widow came up and put in two small coins, a measly two cents. Jesus called his disciples over and said, The truth is that this poor widow gave more to the collection than all the others put together. All the others gave what they'll never miss. She gave extravagantly what she couldn't afford. She gave her all. Jesus noticed something that no one else noticed. Not only did Jesus notice something, Jesus was impressed with something that no one else was impressed with. And Jesus was impressed with someone that no one else was impressed with. In fact, he said, this woman has given the most. But it was just two little coins. Yeah, but Jesus knew the backstory. And Jesus knew the sacrifice. And Jesus knew this woman, she's given all that she has. Jesus' ministry you know, makes it so clear that whether you're rich, whether you're poor, whether you're somewhere in between, the kingdom of heaven is for you. In the kingdom, we're not going to discriminate the way the world discriminates. How people look, how, how people uh, think, um, if they're rich or if they're poor. Jesus didn't do that. And here's why it's significant. Jesus saw both extremes. He saw the poor, he saw the rich, he saw everything in between. He valued both equally. But we seem to have a tendency to sort of take shots at people who aren't in our station. We see people who have so much more than we do, and we take shots at them. Well, they're entitled. You know, they're, uh, they're privileged. They don't live in the real world. Then we see people who have much less than we do, and for some reason, we take shots at them, too. We question their work ethic. We question their motives. I'm telling you, Satan has a heyday when he can get people who have been blessed to look down on people that have, don't have quite as much, and he has a heyday when he gets people that don't have quite as much to, to look at, at people that have been blessed and, and privileged and 
and to put them down as well. You know, in our culture, in our community, in the church, we have both. And I'm convinced we need both. We need everyone to work and to serve and to love wherever we are in our lives. To work together, to serve together, and to love each other. To show people the love of Christ. I, I keep saying it, we're living in a world that is so divided. But I'm telling you, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. When we come to Jesus, all those things that separate us, they just disappear. We realize that we need to be on God's side. All those things that separate us, we just, they're not important anymore. You know, Jesus wants us to be servants. He wants us to love people. He wants us to love the people that don't agree with us. He wants us to love the disadvantaged, the rich, the poor. Jesus was constantly reaching out to people. He had conversations with an ambitious lawyer, an adulterous woman, a doubting disciple, a money-hungry tax collector, a wealthy ruler, a poor single mom, an unseen woman in a crowd, a paralyzed guy on a mat, a criminal on a cross. And Jesus' message is always the same. In the kingdom, you belong. There's a place for you in the kingdom. There's a place for us to be working together for the same side, the same cause, the same Savior. John says in John 13, they will know we are Christians by our songs. <laughs> They'll know we're Christians by our sermons. They'll know we're Christians by our bumper sticker and the cross we wear around our neck. You know that's not what John said. They'll know we're Christians by the way we by the way we love. So as Christians, our job is to love. Our job is to love people, invite them along on this incredible journey that we've been invited. So here's a resolution for you in the middle of January. It's not for the rest of the year. It's not even really for the rest of the month. It's this week. Here's my challenge this week. Brag on Jesus. Find an opportunity, and you're going to have hundreds of them this week. Find an opportunity to brag on Jesus. To tell somebody how much you have been loved by Jesus. And then to show that love to someone else. Not to make us look good, but to make the Lord we serve look better. Let's pray. Father, we think of the words of Jesus' disciples when they asked him, When did we see you hungry? And when did we see you thirsty or in need? When did we see you sick or in prison? And of course, the king replied, whenever you did it for the least of these, you did it for me. So Lord, would you help us to have eyes like Jesus? Would you help us to see potential instead of problems? Would you help us to love each other more? And I pray it in the powerful name of Jesus who specializes in transforming lives. Amen. I'm going to sing a song to get us prepared to share in the Lord's Supper together.